let's go to work. As barbers, we cut hair and fade all day. This podcast goes beyond the barber's chair and is about the rest of our story. Positioning ourselves for success, avoiding costly mistakes, and continuing to grow and thrive as barbers for years to come. Join us as we look at the whole world of barbering and go beyond the barber's chair. Today's episode is a really special episode here. My guest is Ramona Baptiste. Ramona works with a lot of nonprofit organizations in helping gain their taxes and their accounting just completely set up so that they can maintain their nonprofit status. She also works with several barbers here in the Atlanta area. And she also serves on the advisory board for United Way of Greater Atlanta in Gwinnett County. The main thing that Ramona focuses on is tax preparation. She knows the rules inside and outside, what does work, what doesn't work. In this episode, we talk about what is and is not a write-off in taxes. When you hear barbers talk about taxes, one of the things we talk about a lot is what is a write-off. You hear this in a lot of entrepreneurial conversations, and a lot of it comes from just not knowing what write-offs are. So Ramona talks about what write-offs are, how they work, what they are, what they are not. Also talks about the importance of having a tax professional working with us. We barbers have a unique situation, and it's not really a simple, you know, TurboTax and here we go, that sort of thing. She also talks about why using accounting software like QuickBooks is very valuable for a barber to use as an accounting tool. Also talks about there's a lot of stuff going on up there in Washington, D.C. about our taxes and our cash apps, our Venmos, uh, our other, other Zelle. She talks about how cash app fits into the picture and how we can best use it and avoid potential problems. She also talks about the the dark side. You know, what what does somebody do if we're getting in trouble with the IRS and um, or we just hey, you know what we've been doing wrong for a while. Let's make sure we're on the right we're on the right page or we want to come clean. She also talks about what people can do when they're actually getting in trouble with the IRS. I have been rambling for a bunch here, so I'm just going to go straight to the interview. Thank you very much, Ramona, for your time. I appreciate this. You know, like a lot of the folks I was speaking to, I have really been looking forward to this conversation here. Very good. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. I guess I'm just going to jump right into this. I'm sure it'll probably give you a real good picture as to a lot of the conceptions and misconceptions that we barbers have. So I was uh, talking with a few people before a class at the Premier Hair Show in Orlando about a couple months ago, and the topic of business write-offs came up. I have a, a soccer jersey, which I wear, that has my uh, my name and logo on the back. And so kind of thinking as an, an advertising expense. And that kind of sparked the whole conversation. I'm not up to speed as I probably should be. So it was really interesting hearing what people had to say about it. Uh, there were all kinds of suggestions flying. One person said that everything they were doing for the show, including travel, food, and entertainment, was a write-off, and it would come off the taxes. Another said something about uh, how everything we do is a write-off, because as barbers and cosmetologists, we are our businesses, so everything we spend should be written off. Can you break down write-offs and how they do and don't work? Sure. So um, as it relates to a business and write-offs for your business, of course, only those items that are directly attributable to your business are eligible for write-offs. So if you were at a conference, for example, and you had to travel to get there, whether it's airfare, hotel, 
mileage, all of those things are deductible. But if there are some personal aspects to that, so let's say you extended your stay because you want to visit family or friends, or you just want to cycle, or let's say that while you were there, did some other things such as go to bars or uh, go golfing, things that are not affiliated with, with the conference, those types of things would not be deductible. So the items that are 100% attributable to your business, yes, they are deductible. And just to address some of the other things you mentioned, someone said everything you do is deductible. I've had uh, clients before that were in the entertainment business. So they felt like the cost of their hair care, their makeup, all of those things were deductible. Not so. Because as you know, you're not 24-7 being filmed or doing something that is directly attributable to your craft. So only those things that are are what would be deductible. So in your line of business, just to give you some examples of allowable deductible deductions that we would commonly see, any products that you purchase for your business or equipment that you purchase, booth rent or rent for space, uh, cell phone, and even on a cell phone, because most of us have a cell phone that we use partially for business, partially for personal, 100% of your cell phone would not be deductible, only a percentage based on your usage. So if you estimate that you use it 50% for business, you would deduct 50% for business. If you have an internet connection in your shop and there's nothing there but your shop, then yes, you would deduct that internet. Your uniforms, if you have those. Mileage, not commuting to and from home, but mileage for you to commute, say, to a, a, a supply shop or to a conference or to some training. All of those things, mileage for those would be deductible. If you have mileage to a client or to meet a client somewhere, that would be deductible. Vehicles that you purchase through your business, if you have something like that, you could deduct the loan interest if you have a loan on that vehicle. License, training, meals for your business only. So if you buy meals for the shop, you buy meals for employees or for customers, yes, those would be deductible. Those are all examples of allowable deductions. Now, if you want to talk about what would be non-deductible, entertainment is no longer deductible. So bars, golfing, those are just examples of things that you would not deduct. Personal expenses, like your grooming, your wardrobe, your portion, uh, your personal portion of your cell phone, you would not deduct those. Typically with barbers, depending on if you have some other things that you're doing besides just working in a shop, typically your home office is not going to be deductible because you're not using that to meet with clients. Now, you have if you have other work you're doing, like, for example, you're doing a podcast, and that's going to be an ongoing part of your business, then you would need an office probably to be able to do that. So that would mean that a portion of that would be deductible. Personal travel is not deductible. Personal meals would not be deductible. So those are all just some examples of what would be deductible or or above. Let me go to the meals part. I just kind of it just kind of stuck in. 
So if, if someone's on a convention or at a bar show or something like that, they're on the trip itself. Are those meals deductible yeah. or no? Yes. Yeah, so if you're on a trip and you're out of town, you're away from home, you have no option other than to eat out. If you are traveling there for the specific purpose of attending a conference related to work. So, yes, in that case, those meals. Okay. Now, you also mentioned if it's like partial business, partial personal, how would someone go about indicating that if they're if they're doing their accounting? So typically, for one thing, you want to have a business bank, right? So um, to the extent that you can separate your business and your personal, you want to do that. So if you have a business account and you're running those transactions that you know are strictly business, definitely you would want to run those through that account. Let's say you go on this trip or a conference and you extend your stay, but it's continued. Right. In that case, of course, you're going to pay the hotel with probably one credit card. So that would be something that you would need to make an adjustment for. If you have a formalized accounting system, such as QuickBooks or something of that nature, you would probably see one charge, but you would need to split that charge between business travel and a personal distribution. And is that something that's easily done through like a QuickBooks or something like that? Yes, if you know, it doesn't have to be an exact line. It just needs to be something that you can explain. Of course, when you do a tax return, you're not sending receipts with the return. You're not sending anything with that. At that point, it's more of an honor system in terms of you determining what's deductible and what's not. So for your own records, I would just suggest that you make notes or, or have some way of consistently determining what percentage of what you're doing is personal versus what's And as long as you can reasonably explain that, even in the event of an audit, you should be fine. So if you were to go to a conference, let's say you had an itinerary that shows three days, but you stayed five, if you were to be audited, you could present that itinerary and you can show proof that, okay, this conference was three days. So this portion of it is definitely business related. So I'm going to charge this to the people. Those other two days that was personal, I decided to stay. So you could justify using that as That makes sense. Are there other travel expenses that people should know about or travel expense myths? Other things that people commonly mistake that are right off or, or miss, which are? Well, I would just say that definitely consistency is key. So if you are the type of barber that typically travels with clients and that's your ongoing situation, that will show up in your transactions. And so it, it probably would not be questionable that you're traveling and that you're writing off a lot of travel related. Of course, with most barbers, out of town travel is something you might do occasionally, usually more so for trade shows and things of that nature. But in terms of ongoing with clients, you may not have a lot of that. So if you are doing that, occasionally, no big deal. You see a lot of exotic places you're going and you don't see any income being generated during that period of time, then it might be questionable, why are you doing If you're traveling to an exotic location 
but you can show proof that you have attended some type of course or some type of training in person, you usually would have some type of evidence to show that. So things like that would be what would be looked at if you some type of audit or um, any expenses that would question. Okay, so uh, when I go to the Las Vegas Barber Expo next month, make sure I got someone that says, hey, I was here. <laughs> I guess I'm only going to be able to write off that first day. The other two days when I'm hanging out, that's not going to be extra. I get it. <laughs> so let me see if I can get you to break some down for me here, because we hear this term, it's a write-off. Okay, you can write that off. What is a write-off? What would be counted as a write-off and what wouldn't be a write-off? Can, can you break write-offs down for us? Sure. So, so as far as taxes are concerned, the IRS expects that any person who is self-employed who makes more than $400 in net earnings for a year, a calendar year, is required to file the earnings from the net earnings from that business on their tax. Now, I specifically say net because that is considering your gross profit or receipt less any deductible expense, okay? So if you make $10,000 and you spend $9,900 on allowable deduction for that business, then your net profit is $100. Mm-hmm. At $100, that net amount is what you're really going to be taxed on. You're going to report all of that on your Schedule C for taxes if you are a self-employed single owner, LLC, you would report all of that activity, but the net amount, which would just be that $100, is what you're going to be paying tax. So when we say a write-off, it's that $9,900 that you're deducted from your income to arrive at your net. So, of course, the more income you make, the more taxes you pay. The more net profit you make, the more taxes you pay. So those deductions or write-offs are what reduces your taxable income. So you only pay tax on the profit, not the whole thing that you do. So that's why it's important that your business be profitable because, you know, the IRS does not expect that your business will just operate at a loss year after year after year. When you start, it's quite common that a startup business would operate at a loss. It's quite common that a startup business could operate at a loss for several years. But at some point, the expectation is you're going to net a profit, which means you have some taxes that you pay on. Otherwise, it's going to be considered like a, a, a hobby. So at some point, there needs to be some income, net income. That makes sense. Do these small net incomes, do they automatically trigger audits with IRS or anything like that? Is there anything that barbers need to be worried about as they're coming through and doing all this stuff? No. So there's nothing that automatically triggers an audit from that. As far as a barber, it's just like any other business. You know, there are certain things that we can do. There are things, there's reasonableness checks, right? So as an accountant, when I'm preparing a return for someone, I don't require that my clients give me all their receipts and all that information. I'm also able to accept the sum of your income and expense related to your business. 
And then I can go through that summary and determine what portion of this is deductible or not deductible, or how should it be shown on a tax return. I can assess that. If there's questions about any of it and it doesn't seem reasonable, then I can question it. Like, for example, the client that I told you about who wanted to deduct all their uh, grooming, you know, whether it's business related or not. I question that because I know that for business purposes, if I see thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of grooming, I should also see some income that's aligned with that those expenses so that I know that, yes, you did have to pay for your own makeup, your own hair, your own whatever, but this is the income that you made from social media. If I see minimal income, but huge expenses, if that doesn't sound reasonable, then I'm going to tell you that. As my client, you know, I'm not going to accuse you of providing me something that's not real, but I'm going to say, you know, it looks like that your expenses are not in alignment with what I would normally expect to see in your future. So, for example, as a barber, if your local place that you're cutting is here, I see you deducting a lot of travel expenses. How do you have time? When, when, when are you making your money? When are you making money to, uh, to cut if you're always traveling? So those are the kind of discussions that you would probably end up having with the PTA or your tax preparer if what you're presenting is not the Of course, there's always best practice is to have a real set of books. And QuickBooks, is it real? I have people say QuickBooks really a good accounting system. QuickBooks is a real accounting system. And they do sometimes market it as though even a dummy could do it, even a five-year-old could do it. Probably not so. It's not as simple sometimes as they make it seem. But QuickBooks is one of the easiest on the market in terms of what you do because you connect it to your business bank account and all your activity is going to automatically. And so it's just a matter of you going in and categorizing that activity so that it will properly flow through the Okay, let me see if I can repeat that that last part back to you, make sure I'm understanding what you're saying correctly here. So QuickBooks is a good accounting system to be able to record what we barbers are doing. It would actually connect to the business bank account and it would have a running, a running list of all transactions. And we simply would go through and list out, okay, this was for equipment. This was for whatever. This was for booth rent, things like that. And it would just keep it all track for us. That is correct. And then it will allow you to run reports uh, for whatever period of time that you're looking at, whether it's a year, a month, or what have you, and show you that profit or loss. So at any given point in time, if you wanted to see, was this month profitable for me? Or did I have too many expenses? Did I need to make some adjustments? You can see that right in your cookbooks. It's a report that you can run at your leisure called a profit and loss. Oh, wow. Okay. So that makes sense with the guys who have the business bank accounts. Now, what about the barbers who uh, bank via cash app and uh, cash, or uh, I guess you, you got Zelle, you got PayPal. Uh, cash app seems to be the big one that people are using. How does, how does that get fit into helping to prepare for taxes? Okay. So 
Cash App, of course, again, all income related to your business is reportable legally mm -hmm. uh, on your tax. So if you're making income through Cash App, you should be following that through your business. Now, if you're using QuickBooks and you can't connect it through QuickBooks, what you can do is what we call journal entry, or our accountant can do journal entry to enter that data. Or, um, and most of us with Cash App, if you receive payments through Cash App, you could, you're going to cash that money out in the account that you have linked to. So I would suggest linking it to your business accounts if that's a business activity. And you can always cash it out and that would make, you know, show the visibility for you. But also this year for the first time, Cash App, PayPal, Venmo, all of those third party networks, they will be issuing a 1099K for anybody who receives funds in there for services in excess of $600. So it doesn't mean $600 for one customer. It means $600 in total from Cash App or $600 in total from Venmo or whatever third party. Now, I say this year for the first time because 1099K is not a new form, but the threshold for reporting used to be $20,000 or 200 transactions. So that was kind of a loophole, right? A lot of people may not get $20,000 or 20 transactions. Mm -hmm. So they wouldn't have gotten a 1099K. So the burden of proof was up to them to report that income. Well, starting this year, the IRS is supposed to require Cash App, PayPal, and all of those third parties to issue a 1099K to anyone who receives over that threshold of $600. And what that means is a 1099K will get a copy, but a copy is automatically reported to the IRS. And the IRS has what they call a matching where when you submit a tax return, if that 1099K is not entered on that tax return, you're going to get a letter back saying you have unreported income meaning there's income that's been reported to the IRS through another source, meaning PayPal, Cash App, whatever, but you didn't include it on the return. So you need to adjust. Okay. You need to adjust and include that income. And usually, they're going to include it for you. So you may as well, if you have funds that are that you're receiving through a method like that, you may as well report it because the IRS wouldn't be able to tell. Now, that law was scheduled to change in 2022, but in December of 2022, it, it was changed, and they pulled it back. So far this year, 2023, no change has been announced. So we're assuming that it will be required this year for over $600. So that could potentially be problematic because many of us receive funds in Cash App or those third parties that are not business related, right? What if I go to dinner with you and I pay the ticket, but you Cash App me your portion? Right. Right? That portion for your dinner, that's not income for your business. That's a personal transaction. But if you have no way of keeping track of what's business, what's personal, 
you may be stuck reporting income more than what you really collected. So I would suggest that anytime you're receiving funds, that you have some method of tracking. For example, I have a client who's a barber, and he still uses the old school calendar. Now he uses the calendar on his phone as well. But he has a hard calendar. And whatever appointments he has for the day, they're on this calendar. And if he receives money through a third party, he just jots it by the name. So if my name is there, I pay him through Cash App. He just writes my amount, Cash App, right next to my name. So at the end of the year, when he gets his 1099K, if that amount does not seem right, we have some way of roughly evaluating the accuracy of that. You're actually building the track record along the way. So you have something to fall back on in case what they have, in case what the IRS has is wrong or whatever, because there's a lot of moving parts here. You've got an active record that shows what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and which you're able to refer to and say, hey, here's what's going on and here's not what's going on. Correct. Okay. This one might actually be a, a question they need to speak to someone in the banking industry about. But uh, so one of my favorite things about the barbering industry is it is the ultimate second chance industry for a lot of folks. I refer to it as a way where an F student can make an A plus income. It's also one of the few professions where, say, like a convicted felon could actually have turned his life around and be able to get into a good industry and be able to make a living and be able to make a respectable living. Uh, I don't know how easy it is for for a lot of folks to get business bank accounts. So for folks who aren't able to get them, uh, what's a a way for them to be able to handle it? Or is that just good old-fashioned record-keeping? Well, no, I would say uh, that that is one of the reasons why uh, initially some of those third-party networks were created, because those networks are banks as well. You know, if you're familiar with Cash App or PayPal, you can also request. So when you set up your account, you can set it up as either personal or business. And you can also request a debit card associated with that account. Mm-hmm. And that debit card, you could use just like any debit card that you have from the bank. So if you have bills you needed to pay, you can pay using that debit card. If you have deposits, now with deposits, I the only way I know to get a deposit in a cash app or, or something like that is to send that money via the, the app, you know. Um, so I'm not sure how you get deposits in there other than from customized tickets, right? But you can use Cash App for expenses that you may need to pay out if you have a debit card that allows you to be able to do that. Is it really designed or ideal for that? Not ideal in a lot of cases. For one thing, you don't get the same level of reporting that you do going through a bank. But these days, there are quite a few banks out there that are non-traditional, that may have some some, uh, eligibility requirements that are not as restricted as a typical traditional one. A lot of online-only banks Mm -hmm. where you can make deposits, you can withdraw, you can transfer and everything. The same things that you do with your normal bank. You can do through those online banks. And, and even credit unions quite often are not as restrictive as 
So, you know, every credit union has their own set of rules in terms of what they will accept mm-hmm. as eligible member. But these days, if banking is what you want, you probably can find it. It might require a little trouble. We're talking about a lot of these things here which are designed to keep us in compliance with the IRS, uh, make sure we're actually paying our taxes. And, you know, a lot of guys do and a lot of guys haven't. And they are folks who, you know, they, they're probably coming around to realizing, okay, I guess I need to go do these things. Well, let me just put it this way. It might be the easiest way to put it. If someone thinks they might be getting into trouble or if they want to come clean and say, all right, hey, listen, I've been out for a while. Let's, let's, get, let's get back on the right track, you know, because I mean, things happen in people's lives or whatever. What's, uh, what are they able to do to get back on there with, with, so they don't have to be afraid of the IRS just, you know, throwing the, everything at them? Well, I would suggest that they sit down, sit down with a tax professional. You know, quite often what gets people into trouble is trying to do things themselves. You know, the internet gives us a lot of information. But if you're really trying to become compliant, and especially if there's a balance, if there's some taxes that are going to be due, I would definitely suggest that you work with a professional because they would have the ability to speak with the IRS on your behalf. They would have the ability to kind of advise you about maybe the order of things. And they also would have the ability to check with the IRS to see just how far out of compliance are you. Um, for example, sometimes if someone has a filed regularly, they're not keeping up with things. They may not even know the last year what they filed. So, you know, we can do what we call a power of attorney form, which will allow us to speak with the IRS on your behalf to find out when was the last time you filed? What do you need to do to get current? And we can make them aware, okay, we're getting ready to file 2019 through 2022. And they will tell you, okay, uh, we're going to make a note of that, and um, why don't you try to do that within the next 30 days or 45 days? Um, and let us know if you're not able to meet that time. You know, mm-hmm. If you're working with a professional, they also will have the ability. If you don't have all your forms, like 1099, that may have been given or issued in your name, the IRS, you know, a tax professional who can get power of attorney able to pull a transcript for and get record of what that's been reported to the IRS. But again, those deductions, you've got to give us that. And so, you know, the longer you wait, it's harder, as you can imagine, to reconstruct expenses that happened two, three years ago versus something that just happened this year or last year. There are any number of penalties. There's a penalty for not filing the return that you're required to file, but there's also another penalty for non-payment. And believe it or not, the penalty for not filing is higher than the penalty. Okay. Wow. So you want to file even if you can't pay your balance because your balance, you could possibly get a payment arrangement to cover your, your balance in the form of a monthly installment. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you always want to file and file on time or have an extension and file by the So I want to, I want to kind of circle back. So if the person hasn't filed for a long time 
and they have you know that they, they might need some time to be able to put these put these together. Is it possible for them to go ahead and hey, let's go and file this, and then what I find later, I can say, hey, by the way, I found these. Well, that's not advisable. Okay. So, as as a professional, if a professional is filing for you, we are not supposed to file a return that we know is not accurate. So, if we are aware that the return is not accurate, we should not file for the first time. As I mentioned, you know, we can at least uh, do something to help you get some of that information. But the expenses, that's something you would have to reconstruct and get to them. So, I wouldn't advise you just filing and filing again later because that would be the equivalent filing inaccurate. And then it also raises some eyebrows in terms of if you're doing that repeatedly in terms of making you successful time because it looks like you're doing something. Right. Yeah, I guess so. So it's best for them to go ahead and just have it and ready to go and do the best you can. And then let the pieces fall. I mean, it's better just going to get compliant, get on the right right step, than to continue going down the wrong way. If that, if I'm understanding that correctly, that's correct. And if you have a desire to get a payment plan, step one is to be compliant with all your files. So you cannot get a payment arrangement if you have returns that are not filed. So let's say you got five years not filed, you have to file all of them in order to request a payment plan. Makes sense. You know, the IRS will typically give you up to seven to one arrangement. Mm-hmm. You know, and depending on what the amount of the balance is, in some cases for a, a smaller balance, you may not even need to submit a lot of different documentation in order to be able to get a payment punch. Now, when your balance starts climbing, say over 25000 over 50000 there's some additional disclosures that you have to in order to get a, a that makes sense. Outside of not filing and uh, filing inaccurately, where do people generally get in trouble when it comes to taxes? Well, deducting things that are not deductible, like some of those non-deductible expenses we talked about. So embellishing, fabricating things. That's probably number one. Then, you know, non-payment. And it just builds. And then the other thing is, as a self-employed person, the IRS, if even not just self-employed, anyone who has a balance that's in excess of $1,000, the expectation is from year to year, by the end of the year, your balance is going to be paid, even if you haven't filed it. So we have what we call estimated tax payments. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, make your estimated tax payment. If you're anticipating that your business is profitable, you're going to have a balance due to file your taxes. If you file an extension, it does not extend the time to pay. It extends the time to file. So if you have a balance due, you still should be making estimated tax payments up front. The expectation is those are going to be paid quarterly. So every calendar quarter, after every calendar quarter, you should be making estimated tax payments if you anticipate that you're going to have a liability. Now, if you have, let's say you are moonlighting, you are barbering part-time, but you have a full-time job, 
with taxes being withheld as a W-2 employee. If you have taxes being withheld from an employer, you could always increase those taxes, ask for additional funds to be taken out, uh, and have your employer make those payments so that you don't have to make estimated taxes. But by the time you file for the year, you paid all your taxes through your withholding from employment. That's an option if you have uh, both income from employment and self-employment. Oh, wow. But, Actually, be ahead of the game. Right. You can be a little bit ahead of the game. Wow. But change the amount of taxes that you owe. It just changes when you're paying it and how you pay it. Right? But if all you do is self-employment, if you are anticipating a profit, which is what most of us want, you should be making ongoing quarterly tax cuts. Wow. Well, Ramona, it's, it's very interesting. Someone once told me that an insurance salesperson is probably the last person you want to get stuck in an elevator with for an hour because you'll be able to talk for hours about it. But I'm seeing, you know, with taxes, there's a, just for this little bit here, I mean, we don't, we've been going on for close to 44, 45 minutes here. And it's amazing just how much there is to talk about the taxation. Uh, it's, it's something else. Is there anything, any common wisdom that you want to pass on to, to Barbara, which we haven't really talked about or anything like that? Well, there is one other thing, Dave, which is that know your structure. What is your entity structure? So I don't want to assume that everyone who's a barber is just self-employed. They're party of one. They don't have anything else to do. There could be a partnership, or you could have a partner. You could be a member of an F-Corp or a C-Corp, in which case for each type of entity, taxation rules are different. The dates that your um, taxes are due to be filed are different. So it's important that you know who you are as a business, so you know how to file. Then also, there's the arrangement with your business. For example, there are some shops where all of the revenue goes to the owner of the shop. So customers flowing through there, regardless of who cuts their hair, the, the income is paid to the shop owner. And then the shop owner pays all of the contractors in the shop. That's one arrangement that you might see. Then there's also the typical, you know, you're just renting a booth, you pay your booth rent, and you keep your profit. You know, you manage your books and your records yourself. So you don't have to worry about someone else and, and something to issue, like a 1099 or something like that. If you're a member of an S corporation, which means an S corp can be a single owner or it can be multiple owners. If that's the case, you need to be on payroll and you can actually have a W 2 check and have taxes being withheld. So there's a lot of structures that can be set up, even just for a barber. So it's important that you work with a tax professional. Who can advise you and who can understand your situation? They'll keep you on track. Awesome. Well, Ramon, I, I really want to thank you for your time here. Uh, now, if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, if they want some clarification, or by all means, if they want to hire you, because I know some of the stories of some of the people you've been able to help through and uh, just uh, people who keep track of this, uh, you got a pretty amazing uh, resume there. What's the best way for them to reach you? Well, probably email um, or phone call. 
And um, I'll, I'll share that information with you so you can distribute with your audience. I'll um, make sure we have it in the description as well, yes. Right, and, and I do have um, a book of meeting in my email signature. So in our way, book a meeting at their convenience to talk about what services they need. I take referrals, someone like me or anyone else. And I also have a website and I have a presence on uh, Facebook as well as LinkedIn. So I'll share all of that. Oh, they fantastic. And, and, and thank you, Ramona. I'll make sure I get all that into the, uh, into the descriptions and everywhere we, everywhere we talk about the podcast, I'll know all about that. So, uh, this has been crazy informative. It is amazing. I, I, I didn't really realize that we could talk about taxes for this long, but wow, I feel like we just kind of touched the surface. Oh my gosh. Thank you very much, Ramona. By all means, uh, yeah, I would love to have you on again, maybe talk about some of these other details a little bit later on. Then. That'd be awesome. All right. Anytime, buddy. All right. Thanks, Ramona. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Beyond the Barber's Chair. I put links for my guests and for anything we discussed in the description. I hope you got something great and that it helps you as a barber and in life. If you like the podcast, I hope that you will tell a friend about it and subscribe so that you don't miss any upcoming shows. I'll see you next time as we go beyond the barber's chair.